What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Gampa Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic, fantabulicious even, co-host Grant Hughes. Before we get started, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume it. YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your pods, download every episode. If you've done all those things, please consider telling people about us, retweet our promos on Twitter, um, and follow us on all the socials, which are in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. And finally, join our Discord. Don't be like Grant. Join the Discord. Uh, lots of fun conversations happening in there. As a refresher, we each we split this up, and we just came up with what our biggest, most pressing or question is for each squad. We tried to be like in-depth about this, but also the reason we're asking these questions is because we don't necessarily know the answers. There were people, specifically in the YouTube comments, who were like, well, why would you make a podcast out of things you don't know? We're curious people. And like, that's the nature of this exercise. Like, I don't have all the, like, I'm not asking this question I'm about to ask about the Atlanta Hawks if I knew the answer to it. I would tell you the answer. So I thought it was an instructive exercise. Some people disagree. Here's hoping you enjoy it. We begin with the Miami Heat. And my question for them should Miami Heat be tanking for Victor Wembanyama? <laughs> <laughs> my, my actual question for them is it like, is there is this title window of this core just closed? And I'm going to use that to sort of segue into the offensive concerns I have for them. They have they've been banged up some games beyond comprehension when you look at who's available. Butler's dealing with a knee injury, um, but the Heat are 22nd in offense. They've lost six of their last nine games. They're 26th in offense during this stretch. Um, they they are bottom seven in uh, rim field goal percentage and frequency. They're 25th in three-point shooting. They cannot function without Jimmy Butler. Uh, ninth percentile in the half court um, without him. Or And then you look at just like all four of their stars playing together. Stars, I'll put in quotes, but you have Hero, Bam, Lowry, and Butler. They have not played a ton together, so I want to note that. But their, their offense is in the 31st percentile with all of those stars up all those players on the floor, which is just like those are your four best players. You would want them to be like really freaking good together. And I don't know what the answer is here. Like if you're getting to a point where it's, Oh, like Gabe Vincent's injured. What the fuck are we going to do? That's probably a Like that's a pretty big issue. And I don't know what the pathway to fixing this team is internally. It's, is it Victor Oladipo comes back and they're fine. I think at minimum they need someone who's, like at the four, just to like, it can't be Kayla Martin, Nicole Jovich and Bam Adebayo together. Like that's the fact that we're like talking, like that's needed to happen a bunch already. Um, so at minimum, they need to do something like that. But Jay Crowder coming in, I don't think that makes your offense going from bottom 10, bottom five right now. Again, they've been so banged up to like league average. And so is this just a team that's built to win ugly in the playoffs? Or is there something more sinister at play here? That well, that's that's the question because we've seen the Heat just they're they are they are built sometimes or often to just grind out games, you know, and they and a lot of that's like a mentality and an experience thing. I think you know, other than you know, the injuries have been a factor, um, but there was some foreseeability here with they just didn't fill a starting spot, you know, they just Tucker left and they just didn't backfill that, and all of the hypotheticals of well, can we really play Caleb Martin at the four that often? Are we going to trust a rookie, a teenage rookie 
are we going to have Jimmy Butler just be the four all the time? Like, and that means, are we going to play hero in the first unit? And what's that going to do to the offense off the bench, which has been like, there's just all these questions that were foreseeable that just weren't answered. So on some, on some level, like, yeah, this is just, this is just what this team is. I do think, you know, there's some, there's some optimism. I think you should, you should bake in just because like, you know, they're set top seven in minutes this year, which is starting at the bottom. It goes Vincent Hero, Martin, Struess, Adebayo, Butler, Lowry. Like That's pretty solid. There's not a power forward in there, which is a problem that we talked about. And you're pretty small uh, in general. The, the like, lineup with Caleb Martin, though, has held up fairly well defensively. Martin's been good. He's shooting yeah. 38% from three. He plays really hard. Like, I just think it's probably not great. If, if he has started more games than anyone on the team other than Lowry. And even that's like, how about that? I, I'm just surprised myself just reading that. Um, it feels to me, yeah, you're right. I think they, if to level up, I don't think this offense is good enough to, to do anything in the playoffs. Um, th- they need another guy. It's not Oladipo, by the way. He was like my swing piece for them preseason, you know, kind of an X factor idea. It was like, well, that's, you know, that I feel like the ship has maybe sailed. The there. number of teams I endorsed signing him before free agency, boy, are they lucky yeah. they didn't listen to me. <laughs> right. You know, I was, I, I thought he would, I thought he potentially might matter a lot, but really, even if he were healthy, how much does that really change? You know, it, he's, he doesn't bring the size. He doesn't, he's not a guy who guards wings or combo forwards. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The heater, the heater, I'm always hesitant because I was just looking today at the standings like, holy shit, they're, what are they, 7 and 11 or something? Or they're down, you know, outside the plan. That seems wrong. But then you look at just the talent and the way it's put together. I don't think they're going to finish the season under 500, but I would really have to do some gymnastics to get them up even into the like Atlanta, Cleveland, Toronto tier in terms of where I think they'll be at the end of the year. I don't like I'm I've always defaulted to just the heater going to figure it out. Sure. But like this is just I don't know something feel and I don't know what we're expecting to get better because the half court offense was an issue last year by the way. This isn't just coming out of the blue. Right. And so yeah, I I don't like I I wonder if they are a team that's always been aggressive, but are they a team that do you feel good enough about this team if you are Miami to then make an aggressive trade? And they're also they're even limited in what they could do there because of Tyler Hero signing that extension. It's like yeah. everything they do is going to be Duncan Robinson, Nikola Jovic, and a crap ton of picks. And yeah. so like I'm not saying the ceiling is Jay Crowder, but like even even a move like that, you're not even dealing directly with the Phoenix Suns, is my guess, because they have no use for uh Duncan for Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. And the other thing is like, are you trading when he's trade eligible? Caleb Martin? Like that he would actually make sense for Phoenix. But like, does that like going from Jay Crowder to Caleb Martin? So it's tough for me to envision a deal that addresses the myriad concerns the Heat have right now. And if you're looking at it internally, I actually think Tyler Hero's been he's clearly not focused on setting up teammates as much this year. I think he's been really good overall, looking at the mm-hmm. types of shots he's hitting. I know people want him to play off the ball a little bit more. He's hitting like a pretty good percentage of his pull-up threes right now. And to be quite honest, like they they need him to hit those shots because he's the only one on the team who can hit those. Like Jimmy Butler's not hitting off the dribble threes. And Kyle Lowry's been all over the place with those. So and, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say the hero narrative is one that was 
we talked about in the playoffs. Like that's, that's again, like how, how different is this really with the half court offense? I remember it being the, the thought being going into every heat series was the defense will be good. I'm just not sure how they get a bucket outside of Butler and it all fell to hero. And it's like hero was a huge determinant of their success in playoff series. And that's fine, but it's also part of the reason that they're just not getting anything done offensively this year. Where do you land on Bam? I love the theory of Bam. Um, just, just I, I've always loved the guy that that could facilitate from the elbows, could guard five positions, and rim protect. I think the rim protection aspect has kind of long been overblown. Um, I also think it's very clear that he probably needs to be like no more than your like third offensive option on a really good team and on a great offense, he's probably just passing and, and, and rolling and cutting and he's not creating anything because I don't know, it, like that's, that's a luxury. And I think, you know, if you had an offense that was otherwise just better equipped, then, you know, he could kind of explore the space a little more, but I think offensively, he's not someone that you, if you need 20 from out of bio to like an, an efficient 20, to, to survive on offense and it's not like a luxury that he does once in a while, then I think that's probably not the best place to be. He's he just teases me so much. He's ratcheted up a little bit lately. He leads Miami in shot attempts over the past mm-hmm. per game over the, over his, I think he played in six of their last seven, but that's like, you know, part of that's just because look at who's available on there, but he's averaging over 20 during that stretch, uh, thrown a lot of turnovers this year as well. I just, he's a fantastic player. Uh, I love him. defensive yeah. player of the year candidate. I think I might be with you where it's, he might need to be your third best offensive player on yeah. like the type of team you're looking yeah. for. He can be a really important piece of an offense, but the shot attempts, I think it's just, that just doesn't feel to me like maybe, it, maybe he could be two. If your first guy is like different from Jimmy Butler, where they yeah. kind of occupy a little bit of the same space. A lot of the yeah. time, the fact that the idea was that bam needed to be this team's best player at some point, I think almost works against him because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that's the answer. Jimmy Butler needs to be your best player. If you're going to have a line to title contention. Yeah. Or if Adebayo is your best player, it's because he runs away with defensive player of the year and is like pretty good on offense. Like that's the, that's, that would be ideal. But again, we're talking about the heat's offense and it's not good enough. Um, I have the bucks next. Um, this is kind of a two-parter um, related again to kind of a positional issue. Uh, can Chris Middleton save the offense in part two? Does that mean uh, Javon Carter can keep starting? So like Grayson Allen seems like one of those Grayson Allen is kind of in the John Collins camp of just, he's in every like, well, what if, you know, the bucks moved him for something? Um, maybe that's going to be Jay Crowder. But so the bucks so far this season, great defensively, as you mentioned earlier, they figured out how to protect the rim and keep you from shooting threes, which is, pretty solid way to be one of the best defenses in the league. Um, They're 22nd on offense. Again, this is a day old 24th in effective field goal percentage, 18th in turnover percentage. Those are all the worst figures they've had since 2015, 16, which is really kind of not quite Giannis time yet. Like he wasn't, he wasn't full, full, you know, fledged Giannis at that point. Right. Um, So that's significant. Um, So, I mean, it's, you can throw the caveats in of, you know, it's early Middleton hasn't played yet. Pat Connaughton hasn't played holiday and Giannis have both missed time, but like, this is a top seven offense 
each of the last four years. And Middleton is a guy that they trust with a lot of late game possessions. He runs a lot of the pick and rolls with Giannis to the extent that the Bucks ever do that. Um, he, he's the guy they trust with the ball the most. So does him coming back just suddenly mean that the Bucks are now, you know, the best defense in the league and a top five offense again? Um, I kind of, I'm hesitant just because it just, there, there are bigger problems or there are more problems, not bigger ones than Middleton being out. There's just several players that have either underperformed or haven't been on the floor often enough. Um, but I, what interests me most is I like the idea of Javon Carter playing with the starters mm-hmm. because you could sort of, you get some, you know, it's kind of cool to have another point guard ish player on the floor and also, I think he can guard up. He's spent a fair amount of time guarding wings, and we know Holiday can guard friggin' power forwards if he has to. So you get something interesting going there. And maybe the Middleton return and and Carter staying in as a starter or as a in a big role playing with the starters um, kind of gets the Bucks to that like, oh, this is now this at least our best five just doesn't really give opponents any quarter on either end. Cause Carter is a 38% three point shooter, low volume, but he's not going to take that away. And if that's all Allen is doing for you, for example, is running around off screens and shooting threes, then I mean, Carter's not going to be as mobile, but the defensive boost is ridiculous. So um, one, I'll just throw it to you. If Middleton comes back, like, do you have any offensive concerns at all anymore? And would you have Carter be, starting in place of Grayson Allen or whoever else uh, they throw, throw Marjan Beauchamp in there who had a couple solid ones. I know you're big on him, um, but would you keep Carter in the starting five? Look, they beat the Blazers and Pat Connaughton's return. So well, I, I think I'm a day late on my info. Um, so you're everything you just said is invalid because Pat Connaughton is going <laughs> to say this offense. No, I think it all. Look, did you know that Milwaukee has the least efficient transition offense in the NBA right now? No, and how is that possible? And I think what Middleton does, and also Drew Holiday was hitting his threes, what that does is it opens the floor, both in the half court and in transition, to make things better. So I do think we can default towards this might be okay. I've been a big advocate of this. I know the Eurostep podcast, one of the best uh, NBA podcasts out there. They cover the Bucks. Uh, Ty Windish has, we've discussed how they don't want to see Giannis they don't want to see them downsizing. I still think the pathway to unlocking this offense would be, can you get that Jay Crowder trade done? And that's how you open the floor because you can't great. Grace now might open the floor, but he's not, you're nudging Chris Middleton or Pat Connaughton as your four. That just doesn't make as much theoretical sense on both sides of the, the ball. Um, and the, Mark Stein said they were on the verge of getting Crowder from Phoenix. I want to know what that trade looked like. Was Phoenix mm-hmm. getting Milwaukee's 2029 pick? Because Grace now for Jay Crowder is not like, that's not the move. Yeah. If you're Phoenix and who wants like, what is grace now and getting you? I know Jay Crowder's value has plummeted, but I would have been, I want to know what the terms of that deal was. Um, the fact that it came out probably means it won't happen now, but uh, I think we need to see it with Middleton back because he changed the dynamics in the half court a lot. Like he mm-hmm. is probably their most important ball handler in the half court. I, I think that that's fair to say over Drew holiday. Um, he just has a different cadence and level to his game. And where drew holiday is kind of just like, He's going to bail out at the rim, but then settle for a step back. Um, but he can get to the rim, but is he going to finish there? We've seen him have some issues with that in the playoffs. I think Middleton, there's more of just like a an underlying smoothness, um, being able to get just so comfortable in the mid-range, being able to hit off the dribble threes, run the two-man game with Giannis. That is just like 
that's always worked really well for Milwaukee. I think we need to see it with Middleton back. And my guess would be the offense will be fine. Does Chris Middleton coming back really help their transition offense? Um, I do not know. I think, you know, Giannis needs to shoot better from the floor. He graded out. I actually just did this statistically relative to volume and efficiency. Giannis has been one of the five least valuable shooters in the league this season. That doesn't include free throws either. He's not hitting his mid-rangers threes at his usual clip. And so you need those to creep up a little bit more. You could say, yeah, well, he should just become less reliant on them. I'm a big believer that there is value in the volume. And you can, especially when Middleton's not available, like you can't just bank on him getting to the rim every five seconds. Yeah, he's still shooting over like 70% at the rim. That's great. He's not always going to be able to get there. And so I think, look, and the offensive efficiency, if he's shooting better than like 58% from the foul line, it probably looks a little bit different as yep. well. So I I can't bring myself to be too worried. But like, and they also like, let's not forget, they have Joe Ingles kind of coming back at some point. So this might just be a slow burn yeah. for Milwaukee. I'm not a super big believer. Like the fact that Wesley Matthews misses a few games and I'm like, hmm, this feels like it really matters. Like that's not like the best place to be in the year 2023 that we're coming up on. Yeah. Um, with the Javon Carter stuff. Yeah, I'm not a Grayson Allen guy. I think like so I would absolutely like if you think that's gonna and Javon Carter's gonna give you more aggressive defense and even just more aggressive offense than George Hill, a healthy George Hill, um, I would totally try that. And um, but I do think ultimately like they either need another ball handling upgrade, which I just don't think is feasible with the trade assets they have, or I do think they need the ability, even if you don't want to do it in the regular season, this is how we get to Giannis as the the lone big. And look, maybe we have someone at the four in Jay Crowder who can cover some of the, the fives and tussle with some of those guys on the glass so that Giannis doesn't have to. I do think they ultimately need to get there. I don't think Joe Ingles is going to be that player for them. And I think Bucks fans will push back against this because yes, it's a recycled conversation. I asked Ty Windish about it every five seconds for a reason. I, I firmly believe it though. I'm not trying to latch on to something um, that is over discussed. I really think that that is, especially in the playoffs, and there's value in understanding how to play. Look, Brooke Lopez is really fucking good, too. Right. Um, and Bobby Portis has been you know, an asset for Milwaukee. But when you're trying to look at optimizing the best versions of yourself, especially when you don't have that other creator in Chris Middleton, that's when I think you could argue when Chris Middleton comes back, it's probably less important to get to Giannis at the, uh, as your lone big, whatever you want to call it, than you would right now. But you, I still think you need that option, and they just don't have it. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I think it's interesting. If the goal is to get our regular season offensive rating up, then downsizing, I think, makes a lot of sense. But if the goal is to, like, I'm, you're going to have to work a little harder on me to, I think Brooke Lopez, especially like this year, this is the wrong time to be saying we should take Brooke Lopez off the floor because he's getting all this defensive player of the year hype um, and has been really good and has looked like you would never guess this is a guy that had back surgery especially at this age in his career. Um, I think, I don't know. I still think the best version of the Bucks just has Giannis at the four, um, just ov overall. Um, but yeah, I think if you're trying to figure out how to create some space, get get more bodies moving, you, you do the cr Crowder in at the four and Giannis at the five is just like hit you over the head, obvious. Or if, if not Crowder, someone like that, that maybe isn't you know on the wrong on the, on the wrong side of the aging curve. Um, and I can't talk about the bucks anymore. Cause I really want to tee you up for the mix. <laughs> All right. I hope everyone has an hour and a half. I have talked too much about Tom Thibodeau and the front office. It's time to talk about RJ Barrett.
Okay. And the question is, I'm not answering it. I want to make that clear. Was the RJ Barrett extension a mistake? And did they overvalue him in general where they could have had Donovan Mitchell for RJ Barrett and hella picks per Donovan Mitchell, which was like the best way to phrase it anyway. He has been so uneven this season. Listen to these splits. First five games of the year, 34.6% from two, 14.3% from three. His next seven games after that, 45.5% from two, 42.9% from three. The following five games after that, 45.5% on twos, holding steady, two of 25 on threes, 8%. Then he goes on Monday night, is 10 of 16 from the floor. So the direct game after that. There needs to be more semblance of offensive consistency from RJ Barrett. He was finishing better at the rim at one point that has now dropped back below 60%. He was hovering around 60% per clean the glass there. That has now dropped back below 60%. The, the thing I will say in his defense, and I, I also think he's had some, he's gotten better, but he's had some really just like, oof, defensive moments this year where he feels eminently screenable. And it's like, well, that's not the RJ Barrett that I've grown to appreciate over the past couple seasons. They still, and they've done it a little bit more, probably because they have to with some of the um, lineup decisions they've been dealing with. He needs to be staggered more from Julius Randle. That number, and I've cited this a bunch of times now, not on the podcast, but in stuff I've written, 82.5% of RJ Barrett's possessions are coming next to Julius Randle. Now the Knicks are in the 66th percentile offensively during those minutes, but Jalen Brunson's on the court then. Um, The Knicks are winning the minutes RJ plays without Randle, even though the offense is in the 25th percentile. Now, if you do RJ and Brunson without um, Randle, the complexion of that's going to change a lot. I also don't think we've seen RJ Barrett with enough of just the youngsters. Like, let's play him with Quickly and and Reddish. I know Grimes has not been too healthy there. My point is, I don't think it's entirely his fault. The lineup context does not favor him. It puts him in a bunch of different roles. The Knicks don't always have pristine spacing. That being said... I don't. I guess I don't know what the consensus expectations were for R.J. Barrett, but he was entering this season. You knew Jalen Brunson was the Knicks' best player. R.J. Barrett, in theory, is still your single most important player because that's supposed to be your blue chip prospect, the guy who gives you a line to a to an internal star. I think we're finding increasing evidence, just based on his efficiency, that he's not going to be that guy. Which in the macro is fine. But it's a problem when you treated him as such in the Donovan Mitchell trade talks. What I also will say, RJ Barrett has historically just been terribly inefficient in November and December. So there's a point that by the new year, he finishes the season on a tear. That's also not good enough. Like, And so I don't think they've optimized the roster around him. That is on the Knicks. And so I would, if I was to answer my own question, which I said I wouldn't do, I'm not going to say RJ Barrett is a bust or be completely out of RJ Barrett. But... Are we at a point where there needs to be some more wholesale discussions about RJ Barrett? If we're not there yet, we're getting pretty damn close. Yeah, I Barrett has been a really I I feel like I've changed my opinion on him once a year in all four years of his career, um, and it has generally coincided with whatever you know whatever really hot like six or eight or ten game streak of three point shooting he goes on, and I think there was a much longer one either last year or the year before where like for half the season he was on decent volume, a really good three-point shooter. I can't look that up with the level His of second year. He was just, he was a good three-point shooter. Right. There's a lot of off-ball stuff, but you don't need him to like, you don't have to hit the off the dribble three. Yeah. I think, I don't think the contract is a disaster. I think maybe 
it, this is assuming Donovan Mitchell just doesn't sign with the Knicks when he's a free agent, which just seems like based on his comments is very much on the table. Um, I think it was probably a mistake if Barrett being in the deal was, if, if the Knicks unwillingness to trade Barrett was what kept Jonathan Mitchell from being on the roster this year, because I don't think Barrett is a blue chip prospect. I think just the, in it's, there's lots of, you know, there are these all external factors that you mentioned, like whether it's coaching, whether it's who he's got to play alongside the lack of spacing that Randall and, and Mitchell Robinson uh, create, but just like he, he's a high usage wing who the best he's ever ranked in points per shot attempts is in the 39th percentile. That was in his second year. He's generally like a bottom quartile guy and just scoring efficiency. And, and it's all like, he gets to the rim a lot. He, he finishes. Okay. You know, the volume, the volume matters, but everything else is just, you can't count on the ball to go in enough. And so where does that leave you? If he's not a pure shutdown guy, it's early, but we are four years in. It's fair to say like there's development ahead potentially, but you needed to have seen some signs of consistency in some area, right? Like so, other than the hot streaks, other than, you know, oh, he, he's really put the clamps on for a couple weeks. Um, like he's an okay passer and that works well on the drives. Like his assist percentage is high for his well, he position. Does that tunnel vision on those drives. Yeah, he does. Like he, but I mean, part of it is he's just barreling into guys and, and he's like a, he, he, it's like a last resort pass type of thing when the, when the tunnel closes more, you know, he's got to do something. Um, yeah. I, I hate to, I hate to just like decide, you know, well, this is, this guy is not going to have a certain ceiling, but like, I feel like we would have seen more by now to suggest that he, he could be that blue chip piece. Like again, the contract is the contract's not like a crippler. I don't feel like with the, we have to say the cap's going up and, you know, all this other stuff. He's still young. Um, he plays a, a high value position. Like that's, you know, there are ways forward. Um, but I sure rather have Donovan Mitchell. You know, I, I think that I don't feel like that's debatable at this point. I still stand by, like, we don't actually know what the final tally was on the picks. There's a point where it was probably too many picks for me to do it, but RJ Barrett being the deciding factor, uh, and look, there were I I had toyed with it where I didn't know if if you were trading RJ Barrett and a bunch of picks to get Don Mitchell, I didn't know if you should do it. Um, I would have been very much more open to including RJ Barrett based off of what I've seen right from him this season. And I but I will note, and we didn't focus on this just because we focused on so much. RJ Barrett's not the biggest problem in New York. Of course not. I would no. I think the pathway before you look at was RJ Barrett a mistake is hey, can we get rid of the actual mistake on the roster, which is Julius Randle. And so that opens, and by the way, that opens up the pipeline for Obi Toppin as well. Yeah. So you're kind of killing two birds there. Yeah. Well, th and this isn't any great revelation either, but just if the guy's clear offensive strength is getting to the basket, get everyone the fuck out of the way. Like stop having, stop having multiple players out there who either don't need to be guarded off the ball or are literally standing in the way of Barrett trying to get to the basket. And they, like, they played some just like smaller burst lineups time. where it's almost five out. If you, yeah. depending on how you feel about Barrett with like Brunson and Hartenstein and Toppin, and then they have another perimeter player and there was not Julius Randall. Like let's, let's just see more of that. Like yeah. that. And that's the problem is though, is that you have Julius Randall right. and it's just like, there's this implicit obligation to play him or feature him. And I do think that's really hurt RJ. Um, so, and I would love to see just more RJ and Brunson, just independent of Randall for like a long stretch. Yeah. It, it's, well, we can talk about the Knicks forever. I'm, I'm going to move on. Um, I got the Orlando magic uh, and we've hit on this before, but it, it, to me, it's the most pressing issue. Is there a guard on the roster 
who will start when Orlando, if, if slash when Orlando develops into a playoff team. Well, okay. Which, which could be a ways down the road. <laughs> are we that low on Jalen Suggs? Yeah, we are. He's shooting over 40% on pull-up threes. He's still shouldering a point guard's burden because they don't have a healthy point guard. I don't, is it an indictment to say that Jalen Suggs shouldn't be your primary ball handler or playmaker? Is that really an indictment? Well, that's not the question though. Is he going to be a starting caliber guard yes. in the next on a good team in yes. the next three years? You're, you're yeah. in, you're yeah. in. There's like, there's, it. there's like defensive moxie to him too. And the fact that he's hit. Yeah. Okay. The fact that he's so low on catch and shoot threes, I, okay, I get it. Like there's skepticism. Like when you're hitting more of your pull-up threes and you're catching shoot threes, like I don't understand. Like what does that say about your scale, scalability? Uh, but like Paolo Bancaro was banged up for roughly forever. They don't have, like you said, there's no Cole Anthony. There's like RJ Hampton in spurts. Um, there's no Markel Fultz, who I also don't think is like the ideal partner for him anyway, necessarily. But like, I think the question is, they need a game map. Like this would be a team that, that people have mentioned them like, oh, if Donovan Mitchell during that trade or SGA became available, they should just go out and trade for Mike Conley. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I guess he would cost a first round pick at this point, but like you had some, you had Monte Morris yeah. to this roster. I think you see Jalen Suggs' value and he hasn't had the opportunity to be that guy for a long stretch at all. He dealt with some injury issues last year, as did Markel Fultz. Now this year you come in and you have the Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I guess it changes like when Paolo Bancaro, he plays deeper in his career, even Franz Wagner a little bit, um, having Wendell Carter Jr. facilitate some of the offense. There are different things you could do to where, but if you have Suggs as your lead guard, I think it's fair to, like, is that what he's going to do? And the, the answer is, I guess, no, at this point. And I never, I guess, did I ever view him as like the primary playmaker type? I probably had more hope um, for it than we've seen. I also wonder like, what would it look like if he was playing with him? some brighter spacing too than what we've seen in Orlando his first two years. I just, we are not even a year and a half to his career. Oh, okay. Granted. Yeah. He's, he's young. He is, he missed time with injury last year. I just, so here, so first of all, let's do the easy stuff first. Cole Anthony feels like a, like his ceiling is he's going to be like a pretty good six. Better than Jordan Poole. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) <laughs> who's not better than Jordan Poole right now? Um, RJ Barrett's better than Jordan Poole right Jordan now. Jordan Poole's actually been like better lately, but I he still... had a good game. Yeah, he made he made half his shots last night. That should have been the, the my question for the Magic is Jordan Poole one of the most under overrated players? In the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like so like you know RJ Hampton fourth year option not picked up doesn't seem like he's going to be a long timer there even though he's been actually pretty been good. better than he was last season. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Cole Anthony is I don't view as a starter. Markel Fultz is just like doesn't make sense on this team. Um, I appreciate the Magic fans' passion for Markel Fultz. It's easy to root for the guy, um, and he and he does have like several. I mean, is the number one overall pick. Like he does have several like legitimate starting caliber NBA skills. It's just the shooting is on this roster. Quality. You need to not have that level. He's a and I know people have tried to talk to themselves to him being a two level scorer. He's more like a 1.5 level score yeah. because he's not like actively trying to get to those like mid rangers and like putting the moves like dance moves on players and jacking them up. Like they're giving him those shots. He's taking them. He, he had hit more of them than we expected. Good. But that's not like a weapon. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like you're getting by sort of kind of just barely. It's not. But so, yeah, it's, this is really just a question about Suggs. I, I, we've disagreed about him before you have the luxury, I think smartly of saying it's early, which it is stupid early in his career. 
I just I, so and I made this point last time we we got on the topic. If it is clear that Bancaro and and Wagner are going to be the guys that have the ball most often, which I think, however you feel about Suggs, it does feel like that makes sense at least with the way the roster is constructed. And I think Wendell Carter is the other guy you just pencil in as like you have three locks in your front court. These guys are it for the next however long on the Magic, and I think that's pretty good. Uh, you know, maybe great if Bancaro is what he looks like he's going to be. Um, I think you got to have guys that are just going to make shots around those three. And so however, there's no doubt that Suggs is like an all NBA, all, all defensive caliber defensive player today, right now, and should improve at at, like, so game changer on that. end, I think probably, um, but I just need him. I just need him to be a league average catch and shoot three point shooter. He's nowhere close to that. Um, his finishing around the rim is not great. Uh, he's not making free throws still this year. It's improved a little bit. Um, I, and, and like, there's all, you know, you go down, you go down the Orlando magic Twitter rabbit hole and it's like his post entry passes are terrible. Like he just can't do that function as a point guard. So that's a problem for me. Um, so if it's clear that he's not going to be the on ball guy, which I, again, it's early, I get it. Um, it seems like that's just not likely to be his role for this team. Then I don't feel like he can make enough shots to justify having him be the guy, as opposed to someone else who's worse defensively, but is just going to make you pay for all the attention you're going to have to devote to the front court guys. So uh, I just, I'm not sold. I want to be sold. I love the, his, his run in college. I love a guy that just guards and like defines himself that way. Um, I just need more offensively. That's all. So I'm, <laughs> I'm answering my own question. He will not be uh, starting for the playoff version of the Orlando Magic. In support of what you were saying, there are 282 players who have finished at at least 15 spot-up possessions this year. Jalen Suggs is dead last in points scored per possession on those touches at 0.46. That's bad. That's tough. I think he's 7 That's... of 33 is his shooting overall. That's low. Yeah. I mean, Isaac Okoro, by the way, is at 0.51. That, that's an issue unto itself. Jalen Smith, by the way, it turns out his first seven games of the Pacers last year weren't a harbinger of how he was going to shoot for the rest of his career. Who knew? Yeah. He's at like 0.56. So I, I get your concern. It could be sort of an issue of I'm trying to think of what would be a good uh, like parallel to this, whereas we've just seen a player, when you're looking at the two best players, there's redundant, not redundancy, but the way he's best used, his, he doesn't do enough of the other things to be used in that way. Where it's like, yes, yeah. yeah, Suggs should maybe be on the ball. He's hitting over 50% of his twos. Um, and if the pull-up three holds, I get the skepticism there, especially given the struggles at the foul line. But if he's not good enough as a passer, or he's not good enough as a, like a catch, like what would be a good parallel for this like player right now, the situation that we've kind of seen? Where he's like, he's got a bunch of pluses, but they don't really matter as much in the context of this particular team construction. I The thing I was almost thinking about is just like, Andrew Wiggins, who eventually was able to scale to a larger ecosystem later in his career, where it's he was needed to have the ball in his hands, but was he good enough with the ball in his hands to justify that? I'm just not ready to go there with Suggs at the moment. And they're they're completely different players. They like yeah. I totally get it. But like that was Andrew Wiggins for someone was like, oh, he looks more comfortable like pulling up off the dribble from three than hitting these wide open jumpers off the catch. Um, I can see that element from Suggs a little bit. I want I just want to see more. Yeah, sure, sure. I do too. I would love to be wrong. I, and and there's a great chance I'll be proved wrong because we're, what, like 50-some-odd, 60 games into his NBA career. 
and he's played mostly for like a bad team that has had injuries. So yeah, that's, that's fair. I have the Philadelphia 76ers. My question for them is simply this. What the fuck? The injuries are starting to mount as this is going to drop. So like you're going to have Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden out. Tyrese Maxey is going to be out uh, probably for the next month between three and four weeks with a minor break in his left foot. Joel Embiid left mid foot sprain going to miss at least a couple games. Then you have Harden who's still a couple weeks away from returning from that strain foot tendon. Uh, Tobias Harris, by the way, he's dealing with some left hip stuff. So just like this team is barren of who is your primary dribblers are Shake Milton and DeAnthony Melton now. Um, without all three of Maxi and Bede and uh, James Harden on the floor, the Sixers have a 97.9 offensive rating. That would be in the first percentile. Um, what's also interesting if we were looking to project ahead is that the Sixers – they haven't played together a ton, but with their three stars on the court, their offense is only in the 42nd percentile. Right. Oh, look, basketball reference decided to go off with ads again. Don't you just love it? Um, so what, what are they supposed to do on offense? And it's even just like it was, I guess we haven't seen them enough at full strength, but we were worried about their transition defense at one point. Now they've like completely flipped in terms of their defense has been a lot better. But how are you supposed to survive without all three of these guys? And what is the pathway to just getting better on offense. I don't know that it's a matter of like, you know, you can fault doc for a lot of stuff, but the injuries specifically are outside of his control. Um, you do sort of wonder, you know, I, I, there's not really room for Philly to take more threes. They're 22nd in rim frequency. Uh, it's probably pretty troubling that they're 29th in finishing around the basket. And like they're a top 10, three point shooting team. And by the way, they're the best mid range shooting team as well. If I had to guess, and this has been my theory, which I feel like a lot of people just disagreed with. I just feel like there's not a, enough of a change in cadence in how Philly plays, where it's like they are in the bottom three of transition frequency. You know what they're going to do. They're going to try and get into the half court, give the ball to Hardner and Bede, and hope that Maxi can supplement from there. Uh, they are not going to crash the offensive glass at all to get themselves uh, like those additional opportunities. And I, I would love to see, especially because you have Maxi on this team when he's healthy. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk about them at full strength. Like you shouldn't be 28th in average possession time. Like there are minutes where at least Maxi's on the court with only one of James Harden or Embiid get out and run. And so I think that's been the biggest to me is like the biggest weakness of their offense has actually been okay. Like there's just not enough variance here, but there's also just a bigger question of like, are they on the verge of, I guess we have to see when Joel Embiid comes back, but like they're kind of tottering on the edge of panic just with these injuries mounting up at the top, right? Yeah, you got to, it, it's just a question of what, how much this is going to cost them standings wise, because they're, they're just not going to win. You know, it's not it's just like <laughs> some, some great revelation. Like what, so, I mean, Tobias Harris gets, assuming the hip doesn't become an issue, like he's just going to have to cook. And then, yeah, I, I don't know where the supplemental scoring comes from you're probably gonna have to play Tybal some more and that you know maybe b-ball paul maybe paul reed this is finally the grand unveiling of paul reed who's just been such a darling of uh of nba twitter and like a bunch of analysts and you know draft guru guys maybe that's I, maybe yeah the unveiling of pj tucker actually at the five too but <laughs> yeah well maybe although like how good is that really when there's just when he's like your third option <laughs> 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 um yeah the maxi thing it's interesting i I forget what I was writing about him, but it, the idea was what you're describing of 
how is it that this, you know, he does improve their transition frequency when he's on the floor, but there's just, it does seem like such an obvious, it, it take, take, give some, let's have some minutes with no Harden or Embiid and surround Maxi with like your four best athletes of, you know, dubious positional designation. Oh, wait, we have, wait, let's go through the best athletes. Well, Philly. that's the thing. It, it gets rough. <laughs> But just run, just see, you know, just it, uh, one of the great things that you can have in a bench or in, you know, a particular reserve is how they change the like, like you said, mix up the cadence, you change the tone of the game, you change the pace of it. It's like a change up. That's one of the great things you get from from good bench units is like, oh, shit, the defense is like, well, these guys are playing differently now. Like, what do we, what do, we do with this? It, it That's that's a value add, I think, a lot of times. And Maxi being arguably the fastest guy in the league. I don't know who else you, I mean, he's in the conversation and they just don't run. probably still there. Yeah. <laughs> We're forgetting somebody obvious. Too. Well, Morant's super fast. I right. mean, the, the, yeah, the, but he's up there for sure. Um, it should, it should be a transition thing. I, but he's, he's also hurt, so I don't know why we're talking about him. Yeah, it's I don't know what the – there's no answer. There's no answer when your top three players are out like this and you just have a bunch of catch-and-shoot guys, more or less, like as your support pieces. It's going to get ugly. There's there's no doubt. Uh, right now, your your Washington Philly calls and offers Maxi either 2029 first and Tobias Harris or Bradley Beal. Assuming Bradley Beal gives the okay, would you do it? Hell yeah, I would. If I'm Washington? <laughs> would you do it if you're Philly? Would I do it if I'm Philly? Uh, that's oh man, that's really tough because Harris's contract. I think Beal's contract is so bad, um, but I think you got to win this year, and I think probably Beal, Harden, Embiid gives you a better chance than Beal, Harden, Maxi. I mean, uh, Harden, Embiid, Maxi. I don't know. So, do you do that? I do it if I'm the Wizards. I don't know if I do it if I'm the Sixers. Probably. I don't think I do. Just because we're talking about they need like a change of like pace and like Bradley Beal is not going to give you that. I definitely as a half court creator and maybe even a facilitator, um, I get I get that. So I guess push comes to shove, you would almost have to just because it's it's Bradley Beal. But Maxie's so young and that like then that's just your team and we're worried about them staying healthy now. Like what make like why is Bradley Beal more considered more durable than than Tyrese Maxie at this point? Because he had a few seasons of just like good health before whatever happened last year. And look to his credit, he's quietly just like, we're going to get to the, I won't talk about, it, but he's like basically flirting with 50, 40, 90 slashes at this point. So yeah. uh, I just be curious as to like, that's the, and that, by the way, that's their hand. If they actually want to make a move, like I guess you could throw Jaden Springer in there, but it's, it's Tobias Harris. It's maxi. It's a conditional 2029 first, I think because of the obligation way it's structured to, to Brooklyn in 27. Mm. So that's the offer. I, I'm just trying to think of like what, higher end player that would get you. And also Maxi's so good. This is what almost makes it difficult. It's a good problem to have, but like you can't just trade Maxi now. I know people have, I think he's one of the most valuable trade assets in the league because mm -hmm. the Sixers are a team. I think that'd be willing to consider anything. He has two years left on his, uh, another year left on his rookie scale after this one. And he's just so good. And he's already shown he could fit next to two ball dominant stars while also carrying the yeah. offensive load himself. So I think he's one of the most valuable trade assets in the NBA. The issue with that is that, substantially shrinks the number of players that you're willing to trade him for. Mm -hmm. That's That's right. And I just, is Beal on that level? I think the Sixers probably have to pull back a little bit with expectations just because they don't have the first round equity to include, but it was just a thought. And I was wondering like, does the injury make it more likely they move him just because they're like, need the urgency to have bodies. And I, I don't think anything would happen before the trade. Then I was just curious where you would land on that.
Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I, my knee jerk is, again, just like, I, I got to get off this contract if uh, from the Wizards perspective. Like, I just, I can't have this. This Someone's offering me an out, even with bad money attached in Harris. Like, I'm taking it. But yeah, I mean, la- the last thing is, you know, we know that that the way Daryl Morey operates is, like, get me the best players and we just will figure out what to do around that. And I would imagine there's a model somewhere that says Bradley Beal ups the Sixers championship equity by like 0.7% over Maxi and, and Harris. And so he'd be like, well, we just, we just do it. Um, but that's not the case for most executives. I don't think um, we'll move on to the Toronto Raptors. This is my last team. Um, I love, I love when a team like tries weird stuff or just something different. And is just hoping to be on the vanguard of, of, of a style that, you know, might, might be the next, you know, thing that shapes how teams operate or put rosters together. And the Raptors very much do that. We've talked about it for a couple of years now they, they love their long wings. They don't really, you know, always play a center. Although Christian Coloco has, I mean, injuries have changed the way they've operated quite a bit. Um, but they kind of just have a bunch of, a bunch of wings ideally. And I wonder though, and they leaned into that, like they didn't really fundamentally change last year's roster, which had some real issues. Um, Namely, they're great at forcing turnovers, right? They're awesome in transition. Their half-court offense is terrible, um, and they struggle to rebound sometimes. Now, they've addressed that a little bit this year, but the statistical profile of this Toronto team is very similar to last year's, and that includes strengths and weaknesses, just which you'd sort of expect to get from a team that plays a lot of forwards and like Fred Van Vliet basically. So I wonder if they're leaning too much into last year's identity and if maybe that's, so is that like commendable? Cause we're really committed to playing this way or is it stubborn in the face of like, yeah, this gets you some advantages generally speaking, but it also, there are costs to playing with a, a lineup that is different than almost any other team you go up against. I think that's a fair question. I also just wonder, like, is it too early to ask it because of just how injured they've been? That's, they're, that's like, the thing. they're not even shorthanded. They've just they've been decimated yeah. again. What and, do you think? Just theoretically, though, like, are you in? Are you still in? Because the Clippers are sort of doing some of that, but it's different because they have two. Boy, were we off on the member? We were panicking about the Clippers, and they were just like, "Oh no, we're just gonna." I mean, it, it's, I still need to see Kawhi be great for like more than, you know, four minutes at a time, but you know what I mean? Like I just, it's almost like a, it's not even specific to the Raptors. Like if you're trying a weird thing as a team and you do it for basically a full year and change and you've established like, yeah, we generate tons of turnovers and we're awesome on the break. Cause we just have a bunch of six, nine guys that are really fast, but we don't have any creation in the half court. And this has been a huge problem. We're trying to win playoff games. You got to be able to do something in the half court and they're just not good at it. Like, is that stubbornness? Is that arrogance? Is that like commitment to, you know, is that being patient? I, I don't know how to frame it. And that's like a fundamental thing to the Raptors because this is their, this is what they're trying to do. I just don't know if it's quite the right thing. You know, I think if it's going to be the right thing, it's Scotty Barnes basically becoming what Pascal Siakam was able to become on offense as a playmaker, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And while I do, he's only in year two. So I, I want patience with Jalen Suggs. to be patience here. Uh, things seem to be, he seems to be like reacting to things faster and his game feels a step or two faster, but like, he doesn't look like 
that guy yet. We didn't say that about Pascal Siakam in year two, though. But you need because what they need right now, what they're missing is that second guy yeah. is or the third, depending on how you feel about Fred Van Fleet. And I think it's harder to find that player in the the form that they have catered to or been obsessed with. And so that's why Scotty Barnes is so tantalizing and so important to them. I get the unease and I'm uneasy about it myself. And I don't want to say, I know a lot of Raptors fans believe in it. And they're every time we post a YouTube video on the Raptors, where we, if we have concerns about their half court offense, they say that just like, we're wrong. And it's just like, we're not like at some point we're not wrong. Like I get that these fans are going to know the team more intimately, but like the half court offensive concerns are legitimate. And yeah, you can cobble together a, you know, an efficient, half court offense on your putbacks during the the regular season that's just not going to be a style uh, that works in the playoffs and like hey right now it's not even working in the regular season no. they are 29 in the half court 26 offense. last year so it's the yeah. it's you know and and just flip it we're on both on cleaning the glass obviously flip it to transition you know first in frequency first in points added last year second in frequency fourth in points added like this works just in certain contexts and i I guess I would just say I'm like I'm I'm no less interested in what the Raptors are doing. I think it's I I think it's it's exciting when a team is just kind of being weird or being an outlier. Um, but I just it's we're getting mounting information now that like you know the trade off is you win 46 games. They're on pace I think for 46 this year, just as they were last year. It's another similarity and. We, the playoffs are just a different, they're just a different, the, the rules are different. The things that work are different. The things that get you killed are different. Um, and I don't know, they got along, they got three quarters of a season to keep working on this and certainly getting everybody healthy again will change things. But I just wonder, I just wonder, you know, it, it it's, uh, I like, I like the approach. I just don't know if it's, if it's going to work ultimately. Yeah. It's high risk. And I, don't, I also don't know, like what, what do you pivot towards as an alternative it's because you're not you know the kevin durant stuff if he became available again that was always sort of out there but you're not like you're too good to invest i mean they draft really well right but i guess it's like a medium-sized trade where you're partnering picks with some of your salary who's not scotty barnes or og ananobi or or pasco siakam if you were just looking to you know is it a is it unfair to want them to at some point to maybe die diversify because like they're even like as good as Pascal Siakam has been, they're they're still in the 15th percentile of half court efficiency when he's been on the court this year. So like, is it unfair to ask them like, well, can you diversify your tack just a little bit? And yeah. but how do you go about that? Who's available that's going to help you there? I don't think it needs to be a star, is my point. And so you start to look at some of the actual salary they have on this roster. If you're willing to trade a first round pick or even just like you know, Eric Gordon would go a long way. For mm -hmm. this team in the half court, whereas that just like money matching and second rounders at this point, I I honestly don't know. But yeah, that's that's I guess I just have def like not defaulted to not caring about it or believing in it. But there's they the conviction is so strong. That's what you get. it's almost not worth questioning. Right. That's what you just have to. Whatever you think about it, you almost have to respect it because it's like you guys believe in this, and you're not you're just going to see it through to whatever, wherever this ends up. I feel like they're just, they're committed, which is, you know, it's, it's teams are too wishy-washy sometimes. I think it's cool that they're committed. I just don't know. I just don't know if it's going to work. I have the Washington wizards to clean us off or finish us off. I don't know where clean us off came from cleaning the glass is what it must've been, <laughs> been on the brain. My question to you, the wizards, they've won six of their last seven. 
during which time they have the second best defense in the NBA. Now we can get in to the teams that they've beat over those seven games, shorthanded Miami, um, the G league Hornets, uh, you know, Oklahoma city. That was actually a hell of a game, but like they beat the jazz. They beat the Mavericks without Beal. Um, they beat the Hornets again. They are eighth in defense on the season though. And so my question, and I'm going to present to you evidence before I allow you to answer it is, is Washington's defense for real? And we asked this question, I'm sure, last year because they were off to just this like rollicking start. They have the sixth half court, best half court defense in the NBA. You dig into the personnel, the starting lineup that they're playing at the moment, which is kind of by force, has been absolutely annihilating opponents. They're not getting lucky when it comes to they limit not as drastically as Boston and Milwaukee, but they limit looks at the rim and and from three point range. And they haven't gotten lucky with opponent three-point shooting. They're 24th in opponent three-point shooting. They're 10th in opponent shooting at the rim, which is just like you have KP, you have Daniel Gafford, you have a bunch of like rangy, bigger wing-type guys. They're doing this without DeLon Wright, who's been out. Um, I just, and then the other thing that they've done, what like it's low, they don't foul, they don't force turnovers, but they don't foul. And then it's, you know, they're going to grab rebounds. They are, when you look at the opportunities that opponents generate per miss, so those second-chance opportunities, only the Chicago Bulls allow fewer of those opportunities now. It's like the Wizards are not letting you... I'm not even just like... It's not just specific. It is, yes, a defensive rebound, but like the Wizards are not giving you like putbacks. They're, not, they're taking away that easy stuff. And so it feels like there's an air of legitimacy to this in a way that there wasn't last year. And I can't tell if I'm being, to use your word from before like a little too wishy-washy here, but like Denny Avdias had to play more minutes over the span. He's actually looked really good. I know that, you know, I'm a sucker for Denny Avdia in the first place, but like even Rui Hachimura looked better before. I think he's dealing with um, something right now too. Uh, they seem like they gotten good minutes from Jordan Goodwin this year. So I'm just like, is it, are they a top 10 defensive team is my question. And then look, if you say yes, how do you let that inform? Because I think some people might be expecting us to treat them like the Hornets. Where should this team tank? And I think that's probably a fair question. But do you think Washington's defense is for real? And, and then if it is, does it matter? Yeah. So the second part's harder. So I'll take the first part. I think, <laughs> I think you probably, I, I know we had a, we were talking about, there were two or three other teams that were surprises to be in the top 10 of defensive efficiency a week or two ago. And I think I punted on all of them. The Wizards were one of them. I think there are a couple of things that su- that suggest there is some sustainability here. And the first is their location-based effective field goal percentage. So, like you, you went through the, you know, not a lot of opportunities for opponents at the rim. Not a lot of, you know, from from three. They're pretty good at limiting the corners. So I don't, I don't think it's a smoke and mirrors thing. It's not like opponents are just missing a bunch of open threes, like, which can still be a massive driver of defensive effectiveness, even, you know, 20 ish games into the season. Like we are now, right. I think that's kind of real. The other thing just when I've watched is, you know, Bradley bill is, is trying, I think, you know, he's making much more of an effort defensively than he had in the last couple of years. Maybe that's health. Maybe that's sensing like this team actually might be pretty good. It's worth my effort. I think Porzingis has mattered. Uh, you know, he's an imperfect defensive player, but he does have his value as a, as a rim protector, as just someone who deters shots. 
like yeah. hit mobility, I guess I would call it, has looked so good just in Washington in general since he's come right. over from there. It's different. It's different. And hopefully that lasts because it's always just been a, a question of, of can he stay healthy enough to really move like he's capable of. Um, so there's a few things that, that point to sustainability. Does it matter? I mean, so zoom all the way out and what you still have is a roster built around Beal and an enormous contract and some wings that are at least interesting in different ways. Kuzma, Avdia, uh, Hachimura, you know, like, sure. There's, there's rotation caliber players there. Porzingis is your second best player. Probably Kuzma might have something to say about that. I don't know. Um, but he's, you know, health issues. He's kind of not, not functioned as like your second option on a, on a good team successfully. We tried that in Dallas with a better player than Beal next to him. So like, does it matter insofar as are we trading, are we buying or selling? I don't think the wizards were going to be sellers anyway. Um, so I think it's probably just like a pleasant surprise and a good story. If this defense is legit and, and it, you know, maybe it keeps Washington respectable or, or with a winning record deeper into the season than, than you or I might've thought. I don't feel like it makes them someone that you know, are likely to win a first round series or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much it matters, but I do think, it, you know, it, it, there is some compelling stuff that suggests like they actually are, you know, for sure going to be above average defensively, I think in top 10 is very much in play. I wonder if it changes things in, I don't think this, the roster is currently constructed. I'm with you is built to win a playoff series. If this sustains, uh, but I'm just wondering if this gives them more of a license to be aggressive as buyers, because like they do have some money they could play around with when you're looking at the contracts. And yes, I know they owe that 2023 first to the Knicks, but like if you're a team that's sending the wizards, a good player, you're probably banking on them making the playoffs this season. And they would, if they started today, they're in the top five. Yeah. So you can bank on that conveying, and there's worse scenarios than when the first first round pick is coming in 2025. You want to short the Wizards' long term future, so they can. In my mind, I know it's conditional. If they trade you three first round picks, um, that would be a mega trade. But if they trade you three first round picks, you can bank on those three first round picks conveying unless you're allowing them to be protected. And so I just think they're a sneaky team on the blockbuster market. We've seen the rumors about like Phoenix being interested in Kuzma. Will the Wizards trade him because he's coming up on his contract? I'm just wondering, like, if we're getting into December, closer to Christmas, and their defense is still hovering around the top 10, and it just looks like they need a little bit more offensive juice, that another, I would call it the outside-in score to pair with Beal, who's not Monte Morris, it's not Kuzma, it's not Denny Avdia. Like, that might be a team that could go after it, and I actually wouldn't hate it. Yeah, it would make more sense. I mean, I, th I think compared to the alternative of, well, let's see what we can get for Kuzma. Let's let's flip, you know, let's get some assets. Let's get some picks, which was really not on the table once the Beal deal got done. Um, yeah, they could definitely be buyer. I think if you said, are they are they buyers or sellers? Like the second you give Beal a quarter billion dollars, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're buyers. You're not you're not selling anything else. So so, yeah, they, they do profile as an interesting team. I do. I think as I'm looking at some other stuff on them. They are fifth in the East, but their, you know, their SRS, their simple rating system, basketball reference puts that together. It's strength of schedule um, factors in with net rating. They're still kind of, they're still in the negative and they really stand out among the top like six or seven teams that are all well into the positive. So the schedule has been a factor here, I think, but you alluded to that off the top. So, you know, that's not, that's not anything new. I, I will say uh, 
I did not think the Wizards were going to be any good at all. So this is this is another instance of me being proved wrong pretty early through the first quarter of the year. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm like, it's tough because of the schedule, but then you're looking at the Harbingers that would normally concern you, whether the defense isn't for real. And I think the offensive concerns are absolutely for real. Like you, they are still to me, like he's been better this year, but like, you know, Kristaps Porzingis post-ups are still just a little bit too big a part of like the offensive structure for me. So um, I'm, and I didn't mean to turn it to are they buyers or sellers, but I think if the defense is actually this good, it makes being a buyer more palatable for both the team and fans. Yep. Agree. Uh, if you don't have anything else, I'll take us out. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, that's going to do it. Uh, you can, as Dan mentioned in the beginning, remember, uh, let, trying to grow this audience, trying to grow our reach. We're trying to get into your homes and into your ears and your brains. So download, subscribe, comment, like, rate, review us, give us five stars on iTunes and, and, and any place else you can evaluate us positively would be fantastic, but that's a big one. Um, follow us on our socials, which we have uh, in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. Join the Discord, which I have made a note to do myself. I pledge that I will be in there once I learn what a computer is. Dan can maybe help me with that. Um, tell your friends and enemies about us. Thank you again for listening. And in closing, uh, as always, I would like to sincerely apologize to Jared Allen. And on behalf of Dan, I'm going to do it this week. I would like to shout out the one and only who did not get mentioned again. Well, we did the East, so but still, you usually like to fit him in somehow. Frank Nilakina. The Wizards should trade for Frank Nilakina to juice up their office. <laughs>